Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my passion, my obsession in life to teach you how to be productive in our distracted world. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to sign up for my free seven-day productivity challenge. Give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you strategies on how you can become more productive. How do you get on the seven-day productivity challenge? Just by going to my website, mrproductivity.com. Remember, Mr. is all spelled out, mrproductivity.com. Today on the show, I am super stoked to have Christine Parakis. She is a business growth architect. She has got an incredible story about living through two Category 5 hurricanes. But even more important than that, she has got so much knowledge. Grab a journal. Grab a notebook. You are going to be so thankful you took time to listen to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. You're welcome. Christine, what is up? Hey, Mark, I'm so happy to be here. Let's do this thing. Now, before we get started, you have to, because you are so full of energy, usually I'm the one with the maximum amount of energy. Why are you so excited today? Today is December 10th when this episode is dropping. Why are you so excited? Oh my God. Well, I'm so glad you asked that question, Mark, because I cannot be contained. I'm literally floating in the air. So hopefully I'll be grounded enough as I get through this conversation and a little bit more to talk about other things. But today we hit send on my new book. And I cannot tell you, this is the second round of this version. And my team, which was brilliant, I have the best publishing team and agent and everybody. But um, the first time I got it was last week. And I turned every page, I cried. (laughs) <laughs> and this time I cried again <laughs> and it was that good the first time. And when I, you know, but of course I said, let's reach for the stars. And I had a few comments. I had some suggestions for some of the things and everything they interpreted or adapted or took on was impeccable. And I can't be more excited about it. So yeah, thank you for letting me say that because otherwise I'd just be buzzing and no one would know why. <laughs> now I'm assuming, I'm assuming these are tears of joy. Oh my God. Yes. I I mean, really, (laughs) I I couldn't be prouder. And, you know, just let's jump right in, right? This is my second book. And the first book I did on my own, and it was a slog. I had a, you know, I, I, I corralled everyone that I had ever came in contact with my community of friends. We had a hugely successful launch, turned it into a bestseller in a day and a half. But that was the end zone, right? The the hundred yards to get there was a real slog. And when I went through, um, well, we'll we'll talk about it. But the story in the book and the two category five hurricanes that I, you know, survived in two weeks, I learned one big lesson, which is don't go it alone. And so I knew there was a book around this and the lessons that I learned and I committed myself to not doing it alone. And I had, the, I, you know, I was so blessed. It was so divinely ordered that I got the best team anyone could hope for. And that's the outcome is a tear jerking <laughs> book that I can't, you know, I can't not be emotional about. 
So not, thanks not, for letting me share. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for sharing with us. I, you know, I sell Publish two books, and when you sell Publish your own book and you do it all yourself, and you go to upload it, and I was using Create Space, which is a division of Amazon, yep. and they said, "Oh, them. you have a you have a gutter error." I'm like, "What in the world's a gutter?" I'm like. <gasps> Uh-oh. And so I said, you know what? I'm out of my element. I should hire a book publisher professional to do this because I don't want, I know what a gutter <laughs> is now. I shouldn't know what a gutter is. I thought the gutter was the things in your house, but apparently there's a gutter in the book and I know what it is now and I wish I didn't. So let's oh, leave. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> so now obviously because I live in the Southeast United States and the Gulf Coast, I'm very familiar with these hurricanes, but I've never spoken to someone who went through not one, but two category five hurricanes. So where were you when you went through these two lovely experiences of nature and uh, tell us more about the backstory? Well, I was living the dream, right? I was in paradise. I'd sold my last business. I'm a serial entrepreneur. So, you know, we'd had a, a pinnacle of success in my career and my life. And I wanted to take some time. I got my boat captain's license. I was delivering boats off the Eastern seaboard. And I thought, you know, I'm going to, so I'm going to take the season off. I brought a bag with some, you know, warm weather clothes. And I'm going to live, you know, go visit the Caribbean and take my license out for a spin. And I stepped on the shores of the West End of Tortola in the British Virgin Islands. And I was home. I was so well embraced. Everything that's hard for people when they come to an island was easy. The immigration process. I had a, a wonderful, beautiful experience living in paradise for a few years before any of this happened. I had a, a gorgeous uh, little house on the top of a hill and looking out 180 degrees of the BBI. And I was in heaven, you know, working every day from there was a joy. And I, I could never say anything bad about my experience until, you know, and, and what happened is we were on a small isolated island in a, in a British protectorate territory. And uh, far away from the things that we are used to in enduring natural disasters on a large landmass. You know, I come from California, so I have weathered major hurricanes in Northridge. I've weathered fires that were super destructive, I'm literally fighting back fires from our business in a uh, North San Diego County, um, you know, coming out of uh, unbearing the rubble in my business in um, the Northridge earthquake, but nothing could have prepared. So, you know, I'm a professional rescuer, I'm a boat <laughs> captain. I got all these, you know, credentials. I look really good on paper. So it made perfect sense to me to go home alone that night after watching the last weather reports with my friends all gathered together and having, you know, done all we could to prepare ourselves, our homes and our businesses at that point. And there I went home alone thinking, I got this handled. I got the gold standard of protection, these metal slat boards screwed into the concrete walls. And I just, you know, kind of ready, got myself all set to tuck in and, and sit out a storm for a few hours. <laughs> Little did I know. I mean, this storm was the most powerful storm ever recorded in the Atlantic Basin. It destroyed 85% of the housing on my island nation. It was uh, tore the roof off my house in the first wall, left me literally buried alive in what I called a wind coffin for the second half and for almost 24 hours after with no plan. What was the name no, of the storm? It was, this was Hurricane Irma. Okay. Oh, yes. Irma. Yep. 
And uh, that was a category, Richard Branson called it a category seven because wow. it was off the charts in terms of, and, and the way the Saffir Simpson scale goes, there's only so much, you know, in the numbers that they measure. And with the advent of what we might consider as, you know, climate change, global warming, we've had five category five hurricanes in the last couple of years. And um, I think the numbers are going to have to be reevaluated because they're, they're getting bigger. So that was the first one, right? Irma was yep. the first one. Who was, who was the second one? Like who was like the second like, one like was li- living? It's not a living, breathing thing. But who was the second one? Yeah, she was Maria. Ah, <laughs> it was, okay. Yeah, that was a uh, you know a lot of us are in the states at least are familiar with the damage caused in Puerto Rico and the long-standing repercussions. And proportionately speaking, you know, it was, it was only quote unquote a Category Four in Puerto Rico, but there were 4 million people affected by it. And for us, you know, we hit, it hit us at a category five, but I was in a much different position having learned my lesson of not going it alone. So thankfully people took me in and and I got through the second one, but it wasn't, you know, the storms pass. And, and this is the thing. I mean, a lot of us listening out there might not have been through category, you know, anything in a hurricane or any kind of natural disaster, if you're lucky enough, but We've all been through some kind of Category 5 something, whether it's financial distress or divorce or death or, you know, loss of a business partner or a life partner. And, um, you know, that's the stuff that's out of our control. And it's the events themselves usually pass quickly. It's the aftermath. And I was stuck down there, unable to get off my island. Every the ports are shut down. The ferries are destroyed. The, they're literally, literally ferry boats living, living on land. And the ferry uh, terminal itself was destroyed. Uh, the airports weren't open for a long time. And there were, you know, crowds of people clamoring to get off. And I was he- healthy and able-bodied. So I wasn't one of the medical advocates, you know. And so it's the aftermath that we have to deal with. And that's where I feel like I gain besides that, not going in alone where I gain my, my biggest lessons that mm. I could care, you know, carry on and write about and share with my audiences and readers. So when you come across someone whose name is Irma and Maria, do you look at them and say to yourself, I hate you? <laughs> <laughs> well, not outwardly. <laughs> well, we do it for Harvey here in Houston. I mean, Harvey was oh, a category, Two or three, but they said the rain, 51 inches plus rain in like 48 hours, it flooded most of Houston. You know, it, they say, again, going back to the, the Simpson scale there, they said it, we really couldn't, you know, it didn't really qualify for anything. So when I meet someone named Harvey, I'm like, they always look at me. Yeah, I know, Harvey, I get it. So just just curiosity. <laughs> um, let's go back to the serial entrepreneur thing. I, the question that popped in my mind when you were talking about that is when you build up a business and then you sell it, do you ever wonder how it's going? Do you ever miss that business? You know, I it's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. And you know, I'm the kind of person who I think it, when they're done, they're done, you know, in general. And, um, you know, we, we look back and we're, we're happy for an experience. And if I were to long for it, I could never repeat the experience that I created in the first place. So that business, for example, you know, we went from zero to a, a $10 million a year business in four years. And I'm super proud of the work that we did. And in year five, we were able to double that um, for the new owners and for the new configuration. And you know, 
I will always be able to look at that experience. And so will my, my former partner and say, wow, but for, you know, I know I left an impact and my job and my life, I'm always looking forward. You know, it's never, so it, whether good, bad or ugly, we're not looking at an experience from the past as though we're a victim to it or it defined us. Our jobs are to keep moving forward. So, no matter what. So having a business is not like having a child where you would like spend time with Christmas and birthdays and stuff like that. You just say, okay, I raised the business, made X amount of dollars, sold it, move on to something new. Yeah. Um, you know, go, Rolling Stone, right? Gathers no moss, but <laughs> there's always opportunities and you want to keep your eyes looking forward. I agree with that. So let's talk about this. You specialize in growing small businesses from zero to seven figures in record time. I have this theory, which I have not been able to prove and I probably can't ever uh, uh, prove, but I think that everybody that is shooting their mouth off on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, doesn't matter the profile. I think a high percentage, 80, 85% of people are just faking it. They're, they're, they don't know how they're going to pay their mortgage. They don't know how they're going to feed their families and, but they look really good. So let's imagine that somebody who is in that category, they're, they're like, they're sweating bullets. How am I going to make my payment? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to put gas in the car? How am I going to get the kids lunch money? How, and they, they have a business, they have a passion, they love what they're doing, but they're not making any money. How can they go from zero to seven figures in record time, as you call it, hyper growth? Well, you know, so there's a difference, right, between the startup, because it's zero, that's a startup, and there's people who are in business and can't break out of the, maybe it's $100,000 a year, which is quite common, right, or can't get past the six figures, maybe low six figures, and they're really just to have a job, you know, so there's a number of things that, you know, so you can approach these things differently, whether you're a startup where you get them as a, you know, a blank slate and you get to mold or you've got somebody who's been in business and is struggling, right? And so with the business owner that's struggling, there's a few things I'm going to do in the first, you know, 60 to 90 days that I'm going to get a win for you immediately. And I guarantee you, I could look at anybody's balance sheet, income statement, and cash flow and find money, right? Because if I'm going to be participating and I'm going to charge for that, they, I better be able to justify what I charge, you know, and I want to invest with them in that way because it's my time and energy too. And I want to be with winners. And so, you know, and that's typical. The, the ideal clients for me are people who've been successful at other things and they recognize the value of having support and they know that'll just help them get there faster, you know, I call myself a master diamond cutter. You know, it takes a diamond to cut another diamond. And it's a very intricate process of fine tuning, artistry, focus, and the ability to see things in a way that others can't to turn a rough, what would be a rough stone into a shining, brilliant diamond. Okay, let me play devil's advocate here. Let's say somebody's listening to this podcast and they're going, Okay, Christine, I get it. Okay, I get what you do. Your exciting story about the Category 5 hurricanes. You know, I, you're obviously the real deal. You know what you're talking about. But I've been struggling for so many years. I, I just can't, you know, I, I, I know people need what I have. And I, I, I know I have what I, what I can help people with. But I've got this chasm here. 
but I have no money. So what? give us a couple strategies that we can maybe get the ball moving in the right direction to build that momentum. What, what would you tell us? So a couple of things, you know, I would, I would say you've got to take a cold, hard look about how you're using your cash. Managing cash and having revenues and profitability are very different things. And as a startup or a struggling business or a business that's underfunded, let's say, because I've been there many times with my partners and myself, and it's being able to keep your eye on what am I spending money on? You know, I come from Hollywood. I've been an entertainment attorney and I worked in, you know, my last business was in the entertainment industry. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a value placed on what car you drive, what house you live in, what your zip code is, you know, where your kids go to school. And a lot of money leaks out in ways that we're not even aware. What are we investing in versus what are we spending on? You know, take a look at your credit card statement and, you know, is somebody in your household spending on luxury items or are you investing that money? Are you investing in your business? Are you investing in skills? You know, best money I ever spend is investing in growing myself as a business leader. And, um, you know, so those kinds of things that are, do we have a, a scalable business or a repeatable business? Or are we selling a one-off? If we're a real estate agent, we're selling someone a house. And in most markets, let's say not Southern California, where things are kind of out of control there, we're buying a house once every maybe 10 years or a lifetime, you know? Mm-hmm. So if I'm selling people houses, I've got to find a new client every time I sell them a house. Or sell one client a house, I got to go find another one. As opposed to having a repeatable business where I've got things to sell, I can upsell or I can downsell in various models. Who am I ripe to have a joint venture with? Maybe I build swimming pools. You know, am I, once I build a pool for a client, I'm not going to likely build another pool for them unless they move and they move to a place that doesn't have a pool. So, you know, there are certain business models that are ripe for growth and scale and others that are not. And sometimes we get stuck thinking, well, I made a good, you know, I made a good living off of selling people something once and that's good as a business, but it really isn't. You know, that makes a lot of sense because one of the things I do, I'm, I'm an online trainer and coaching and stuff like that. But I, I one of the persons I've been, persons? One of the people I've been studying under is Brendan <laughs> Burchard. Uh, he was called by Oprah Winfrey, one of the, the best trainers in the world. And what he does, he has all these monthly training programs because now he's gotten into the place where it's a one-to-many instead of one-to-one or instead right. of going out to one person at their house and coaching them, now he does one-to-many. And, and that's not easy. No one could just hang out their shingles and all of a sudden you're a Brendan Burchard or a Tony Robbins. They took years to build that up. But I, I think... I understand what you're saying. If you're just selling one swimming pool or one house, now you have to keep that funnel filled because they're not going to buy multiple house. Most people don't buy multiple houses at the same time unless they have a lot of money. And so that's why I think for me, what I try to do is get into the one to many so I can help more people. But then it is scalable because once you create a course or something like that, then it can be gone pretty much on autopilot. You do all the work on the front end, the courses, the membership site, whatever the case may be. And then all you have to do is create new content. Content, where if you're selling a house, you get one house sold, you turn around, go find someone else, sell them a house, and it just becomes an, a never-ending battle. Right. And, and even as a service provider, like you said yourself, you touched on it, you have to be responsible to how am I going to develop passive income? 
right? Because if you're even if you're delivering one to many, that's still your time. And you only have so many hours in the day and you might want to have a life and a family and, you know, other interests. And so you have to figure out how am I going to make money while I sleep? You know, and that's what you touched on and is so really important to keep in mind is no matter how you deliver, if it's a service and you're doing it yourself, you will be limited in your capacity to earn always. Yeah. And I, I, one of the things I, I hear sadly enough when I hear people that they're going to leave their corporate jobs, they're going to start an entrepreneur. And then we're having this conversation. And the first thing they say, okay, I got to get myself a virtual assistant. I got to get myself this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You've got no money. Well, yeah. Well, how are you going to pay the virtual assistant? You do the stuff first. And as you start generating income, then you can go get a VA. I think a lot of people are thinking they hear the term VA. It's so cool. I want to get a VA. I want to get an assistant. But if you have no way of paying them, um, you have a problem. And so I think that there's a time and a place for VAs. But if you're just hanging out your shingles and you got no money, you shouldn't be looking how to get a VA. You should be looking how to grow your business. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, of course I would. And, you know, again, we talked about this from the outset, right? How are you spending your cash? Right. So it's a sweet spot and you got to find it, right? It's a moving target. When is the right time to get support? And what's the right support to get? That's the big question. And a VA can take all those uh, low-level activities off your plate as soon as you can afford them. So if it becomes like, I've got to have this, I can't do it, or, or I'm being, I'm in such demand. I, you know, you were both speakers, right? So we go out and we speak and, you know, we want to generate income from that and, and other things. And if, if the speaking is taking up all of our time or the training is taking up all of our time and we can't do the follow-up, then it, it certainly is demanded. But if the revenue doesn't match, then we've got a responsibility to figure out, are we driving a car and making a car payment every month? Or, you know, are there other ways to have transportation, whether it's, you know, a car that you can afford that you're not making payments on that frees up cash, find the money, right? And I'm sure that most of us are leaking money out from somewhere. And um, that's where we find ways to get the support we need, whether it's from a training or a mentor or a VA. I am stunned by the number of people I have come across in my life that have no idea where their money's going. They don't track it. Now, if you're business, you should use a profit and loss statement. If you have a, you know, your personal, your personal stuff, you should have an app that you track it on. But when you don't know how much money you're spending at groceries or your mortgage or your utilities, you're just living day to day. I think that's very dangerous. So I think you should always know where your money's going because if you're going to Starbucks four or five times a week, well, that's a lot of money at the end of the month. And you say, well, we can't pay our mortgage. I'm like, okay, how, much, how many times do you go to Starbucks? And so I think you're spot on about that. I think people need to know where their money's going because you did say, are you investing it? And a lot of high performers spend at least 10% of their income investing in themselves or are you spending money foolishly? And I think people need to take a gut check and say, okay, where's my money really going? Yep, I would go into debt to invest in myself and my business, but I would not go into debt for a vacation or a car or a pair of shoes. And I, I you know, I came by this road the hard way, right? I've, I've made, you know, I've had multiple six figure debt multiple times that I've had to pay off. And thankfully I've had the flow to do that. But, you know, so I've learned the hard way. I'm speaking from experience, not because I've always known this, you know, you sometimes you have to do it the hard way. And that's kind of my way of, I've learned over the years as I found, <laughs> myself buried alive for 24 hours, a lot of time to think about stuff. You know, why am I here? 
I didn't know anybody on that island. It took me a couple months to figure out that I didn't know anybody else on the island who'd been alone for that storm. And so, you know, you get your wake up calls where you do, and hopefully you learn the lessons quickly or from others who've been there before you. You know, and you touched on something really important that you were not born a seven-figure earner, okay? Everybody looks at Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett. They didn't start out that. Everybody starts out with zero. When you're born, you start out with zero. And everybody seems to think, they listen to your story, oh my gosh, she's making seven figures. I'm only making, you know, five figures, you know? And it's like, oh, I can't get over $40,000 a year. Well, Gary Vaynerchuk had a video not too long ago that said, it's your fault. Okay, it's your fault. You have to take responsibility and stop blaming the world and say, look it, I'm only making thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. It's my fault. What am I wasting my time on? Am I playing Fortnite for seven hours every night and, and twenty four hours on the weekend? We have to take responsibility. And I think more people need to do that and stop complaining about things. Well, you hit that nail on the head too, right? Time management, because honestly, we can all make more money. We can always make money one way or another, whether we lose it or or gain it, we can make more. It's time we can never get back. It's the most precious commodity we have. And I'm shocked by how much we all squander it. You know, I'll turn the TV on once in a while, or I'll go dive into a Facebook group and then start wandering into my feed you know, or I get caught up in Instagram now and then, and I got to discipline myself. You know, what are the low value activities? I'm squandering what time I have. Yeah. I use Brendan Burchard's uh, high performance planner. It's probably the best planner I've ever used. And he's got morning prompts and afternoon prompt or evening prompts. And one of the questions he asked at, at the evening is, I could have made today better if dot, dot, dot. And 99% of the time I write, watch too much TV. I didn't watch too much TV. And I know it. I'm a productivity guy. And I know when I sit down to watch TV that it's not moving the needle. It's not making me money. And I know that. But I, the reason why I share that with the audience is because I have bad days too. There are Sundays. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I don't have cable or satellite. So I'll be glad when football season's over because there's nothing watching TV, but it's my fault. I don't blame the net networks. I don't blame the NFL. I, it's my fault. And there, no one's putting a gun to my head to sit down and watch TV, but I'm conscious about it. And some days are better off than others, to be honest with you. But I think everyone has those problems. You, you talked about Facebook groups or you get, you get caught up in the endless scrolling of Instagram or whatever the case might be. Don't, don't beat yourself up on it. Just say, okay, this is a problem. How do I solve the problem? Well, and, you know, let's look at it realistically, right? 80-20 rule is my guiding principle. You know, I'm not going to be perfect. And I'm, if, I'm the, if I'm hitting it 80% of the time, I'm really doing okay. You know, I'm going to have that cupcake. I'm going to watch <laughs> a little, you know, of my favorite um, show. Silicon Valley just ended last night. So that was it. That's, that freaked me up for half an hour of a week. <laughs> but, you know, it's that we've got to give ourselves a break. But there's something that I learned recently, again, which I've heard many times before, and I've, I've just brought in a practice that to me is about slowing time down. And um, for me, it's a meditation practice that I, I'm not a meditator. I'm not somebody who could sit quietly and not think about stuff or plan her day or solve problems. <laughs> But I threw myself into this practice, and it's a commitment we made for 40 days to do it twice a day. It's 21 minutes each, twice a day. 
And people were in this big group were being introduced to it. We're talking, you know, well, what if I, you know, have to exercise and what do I give up? And I don't have the time. And, you know, everybody will say that busy people will say, I don't have the time for a commitment like that. And the response was, it's not a lack of uh, time. It's a lack of commitment. And, you know, I swim for exercise. And so what I had to do is wake up an hour earlier to make sure that I get both my morning meditation time in and they make it super hard because you're not supposed to do it on uh, on a meal. So I got to time these things. It's it's a (laughs) tremendous discipline, which is really good for me to practice. So I wake up an hour earlier, I get my meditation in, I get my swim in, and I can start my day with so much more energy. And it's unbelievable how much more time I have because I did that. Hmm. Well, yesterday, December 9th, was my 833rd day of running at least one mile a day. Wow, bravo. Thank you. (laughs) I, I started after Hurricane Harvey left Houston during the storm. I read an article on runnersworld.com that said what I learned from running one mile a day for 250 days in a row. And I read it and I'm like, I could run one mile a day. And now because I have an Apple watch, I'm obsessed about closing my rings every day. But here's the thing. When people go 833 days, how'd you do it? Day one, then day two, then day three. And I reached, eventually reached the tipping point. I think it was around 30 days. And I said, I'm not starting over at one because people say, oh, take a day off. No, I'm not starting over at one. There's no, starting over at one scares the crap out of me. But you just have to start. If you want to start meditating, if you want to write a book like we're going to talk about your book in a minute, or you want to start running or you want to start working out, you got to start. Okay. You can yep. read all the books, watch all the videos, listen to all the gurus, but at some point you have to start. And I, I tell people, start, just start. And, and I like what Tony Robbins says. He, he says, even if you go in the wrong direction, at least you're moving. If you're just standing <laughs> still, nothing's going to happen. But if you're going in the wrong direction, guess what you can do? Turn around, and go in the right direction. And I think people need to move. So many people, I really think, Christine, they're waiting for someone. I, I would say Ed McMahon, but a lot of people probably don't know who Ed McMahon is. They're waiting for someone to come to their door and say, here's an opportunity. It doesn't happen. You have to do something. You have to get up and move. And I would just say, just start. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm bowed to you. I, you know, first, what an achievement, and you know, it's that uh, for me, and maybe you you can relate a little bit. Is every you know, like three, four, five times a week, I'm I'm reevaluating my decision to get up and go swim. You know, <laughs> thinking, oh well, you know, maybe one day off, or I, you know, and I go through these mental acrobatics, and I, you know, while I'm getting out of bed and dragging myself in the dark and the cold, and putting on my suit so I can go down to the pool. And, you know, just do it. Right. And so we, we have to give ourselves permission to be human, but also not let our humanity stop us. Right. So I, I go indulge myself, my mental acrobatics of reevaluating my decision several times a week and then just do it anyway. Well, no, it's funny is I have run so many days in a row that there's no way I'm going to stop. Okay. Unless my legs are broken. And so right now on. when I hear it's going to be cold, cause every once in a while it does get cold in Houston. Uh, a couple of times it's been like in the forties and raining and I'm like, Oh, this sucks. But I still go out running because <laughs> every day means every day. You can't take a day off. I've run when I was sick. I've run when I had a fever. Probably not the greatest, smartest thing to do, but I am a man. And you know, every day means every day. Today, uh, December 9th, 833 days. Now, this comes out uh, the 10th, which is uh, a Tuesday, and I'm hoping that I didn't break my streak, but as of <laughs> as of December 9th, this is still intact at 833 days. So let's wrap it up this way. Talk to us about your book. What is your book about, and when is it going to hit bookshelves? 
Well, not soon enough for me. I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, we're we're looking at probably end of May, beginning of June, depending on whether my my books make it back on the ship. But um, as I said, we went to print. Oh, at three o'clock today. But uh, the, the, the important thing is for me is to be able to share the, what I use, the, the lessons I learned for life and business. This, the, I call them the seven barometers of resilience. And um, I will send you a pre-order link that maybe you can share with the audience when, um, when I have it, which will be shortly. And, um, you know, that people understand there are situations that are simply out of our control And there are some really critical strategies of leadership and resilience that we can adapt for ourselves, no matter what the circumstance. And the first one is not going it alone. Mm. And so that's the lesson of the book and the the seven specific strategies that anyone can adopt for any situation that is simply beyond their control. And I, I think I could say with confidence that nobody listening today has avoided that one way or another. And if they have, they won't be able to. Well, I'm going to really date myself, but uh, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. So (laughs) nobody goes alone. So, um, well, Christine, you gave us a ton to think about. And like I just tell everyone who listens to my podcast, look, there's a lot here. Just pick out one thing that you said that really resonated with them and go do something. Don't don't be a passive listener. Don't just go, oh, that's a nice conversation. Go do something. So I'll give you the final word. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, you are awesome, Mark. And here's today, 800 and what now? 34 will be on Tuesday to December 10th. <laughs> and I'll be swimming and I'll be thinking like Mark's up to my game. Now I got I can't miss a day swimming now. <laughs> you, just, you just put the gauntlet down for me. I'm picking it up. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Take care. Thanks, Mark. And before we go, I want you to not miss this. Christine gave me a gift that she wants me to give to you, and you can access it by looking in the show notes for this episode. So go to the show notes, and there's a link there for you to download the ebook that she is gifting you. Thank you so much, Christine, for that generosity. And don't forget to go to my website, mrproductivity.com, because while you're there, A, you can sign up for my free seven-day productivity challenge. Just give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you strategies on how to be more productive. That's at mrproductivity.com. While you're there, you can also find out about my coaching and my course and, well, anything you want to know about me, it is all at mrproductivity.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast If you would consider doing that, that would mean the world to me. Also, tell your family, friends, coworkers, even strangers if you found value in the Mark Stuchowski podcast. And like I always end every episode, until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.